in terms of infertility, going through treatments and all that. First of all, find support. You don't have to share your story. You don't have to share anything. I'm not talking about like necessarily opening up to the world, but to have one person, two people, 10 people, whatever it is, whatever support looks like to you, have that because I didn't for a while and it was, you know, just my husband and I and occasionally here, occasionally there, a couple people, but like really, really fully get somebody on board that you can trust, that you can open up to and talk to because it could be a short journey and it could be a long journey. But having that outlet, it, it just makes a world of a difference. For some, getting pregnant is a walk in the park. And for others, it can take years and years and years. My guest today, Erin Bolkeo, is a fertility fighter. After two years of hiding behind curtains of shame and guilt, she has decided to pull those curtains back and reveal the raw and vulnerable steps that it took to become a mother of three. If you have been struggling with fertility, even secondary fertility, as there is less light shown on that, Erin is here to offer you easy steps to prepare yourself for the road ahead and comfort to know that you are not alone. Here's Erin. What I love the most is that you are really sharing your raw and vulnerable experiences. And today we're really gonna dive into IVF and infertility and what you say specifically, what no one told me, which is so mm -hmm. beautiful. You've decided that, as you say, after two years of hiding behind the doors, you have flung them open, created this amazing blog and social media platform called My Beautiful Blunder. And I would love to just hear, before we get into your story a little bit, what was that feeling like for you when you finally opened up those doors and really showed your story to the world, truly? It felt like a huge weight was lifted off my shoulders. I know that's like cliche and everyone says that, but it really is true. I kind of felt like, A, everybody will know now and it's great. I don't have to pretend like nothing's going on. But I also felt so good only because I felt like I didn't have to call everybody individually and explain every situation. I think for me, a lot of it, and I'm still working on this myself, is I'm, I'm a people pleaser. So I also didn't want to put what I was going through on anyone. You know, going through infertility and being a mom and all of that, you need support. And so for me, when I opened up, it was kind of like, okay, whoever feels like listening, whoever wants to be a part of this, they can they don't even have to tell me that they've read or, you know, connected. They don't, nothing, but it's out there. And so it just kind of felt like, okay, I can breathe now. I can let it all out. There has to be somebody that can connect to a certain extent. And if there's not, whatever. I did this for myself. It was, it was really therapeutic. As you were just describing that, I just felt myself literally take a deep breath with you. Like uh -huh. I can feel all of those years and years of pent up frustration and hiding and overwhelm. Yeah. And While you don't have to open up, you can easily find different support groups. Like for instance, on social media, I never knew they existed, but just going through and scrolling and reading what other people are going through just makes you feel like you're not alone. Like you are not ruined. There's nothing wrong with you. There's so many others like you. And it just kind of gives you a sense of peace, a peace of mind that it can get better. And like I said, there's just, there's nothing wrong with you. 
I think like in terms of advice, that's kind of my biggest thing. The other thing I think for me, I expected things to work really quickly. I just thought, okay, well, we know that I can't really do this on my own. So what am I going to do now? I'm going to go into treatments. Okay, great. Then it's going to happen. For me, it wasn't the case. For many, it's not the case. For some, it is. But just knowing that you have to be somewhat patient and that it can take time. I think going into any type of treatments, that it kind of helps shape your outlook on it. And it's still gonna be hard to be patient. I mean, like, let's be honest. <laughs> but just exactly. at least knowing that it might not necessarily happen right away, I think helps. Because I didn't know. Yeah, those are some great pointers. And we got connected through the amazing Elizabeth King, Mm -hmm. who I interviewed in episode 73. She is a fertility coach. And if anybody is looking for her guidance, I could not recommend her more. She is just amazing and such a such a wonderful help. And the importance that she was talking about, like you were saying, to give yourself support is not having that person that's your family member or your closest friend or Mm -hmm. your partner, because all of those people are going to have their own job in this time of your life. But it sounds as though you really need that external support and that person who is unbiasedly really just there to listen, to not Mm -hmm. necessarily recommend or push something, but to just show you all of your options and give you mm-hmm. coaching, give you support through that. So I'm so grateful that she connected us today. And I think it's really Me important too. to hear it from somebody who's experienced it firsthand. So I want to get into your story so that everybody can understand where you're coming from. You first started to trying to conceive just nine months after getting married. And... <laughs> The roller coaster really began, it sounds like. Seemed, I mean, from my research that I did on you, it was like you didn't realize it, but you were jumping on this roller coaster that was going to last 10 years. So, first of all, how did you feel when you first were told that you needed help after those nine months? And then, what did, what did it all turn out to be? Yeah, so we started trying to conceive about nine months after getting married. And then I realized, like, I wasn't getting a period. And so I kept thinking like, okay, it worked, it worked. And I just wasn't. So we finally went in and turns out I don't ovulate on my own. That was kind of a bummer to hear because I had been on the pill for, you know, since I was 17. So to then be told I actually probably never even needed it (laughs) was kind Mm. of strange. The doctor did tell me your best bet would be through a fertility center. Here you go. Here's the name. Um, So we went down and we were very lucky because our first attempt with an IUI worked and we conceived triplets. Unfortunately, we did have to have a medical reduction because the doctor was just worried that that would be too much for me to handle physically. For me personally and for the babies, they just probably wouldn't have survived or would have come early or who knows. Obviously, we don't know. It was... Yes, a decision we had to make, but it was highly recommended that we made that decision by our doctors. So we did. It was super hard. We kind of blocked it. My husband didn't want to talk about it, so I kind of respected that. And honestly, we, the two of us really never talked about it after that day. So we tabled that and obviously focused on the pregnancy. We had two beautiful, healthy girls full term. They were very small, but 
fully developed, you know, got to take one home right away. And the other one was in the NICU for about 11 days just to kind of gain a little weight. Mm. And that was great. I mean, you know, we had them, we loved them. They were great. We basically didn't think about other kids for another six years. But while we were doing that, we also, again, we're not, not trying. We also weren't talking about what we had just gone through. Right. Everything just kind of tabled because twins is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> we were young and our marriage wasn't the best either. We were going through a lot of issues, some verbal abuse, just not the best time <laughs> in our marriage. Basically, yeah. There's so many things that we kind of shoved under the rug because we didn't know how to talk about them. We didn't want to add any more arguments to what was already happening. We tried to place blame on each other when it probably was all about this. I think there was other things that, you know, we both had to deal with from our past that we never did. So we went to therapy together. We went individually. And then we finally were able to start talking about it. Probably when my twins were about like four or five, we started counseling and it was really, really helpful. Like you said before, when I talked, is there anything I shouldn't talk about? And you're like, no, I'm an open book. And I think that's the beautiful thing about you and the way that you're sharing. (laughs) Because, you you know, even me, when I'm going through, so I'm not yet a mom, I'm just an aspiring mom. But going through Mm -hmm. my relationship that I've been in for 13 years, married for almost four, there's stuff that comes up. And then when you deal Mm -hmm. with trauma like that, it's really hard. And you're not able to work through, and I'm sure that you were experiencing things like people saying, oh, well, now you have twins, and your mind is saying, like, you should be happy because you Mm -hmm. have these two twins, when you just suffered a major trauma and major loss that you were forced to experience. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a lot of, it was a roller coaster, you know, and I think most people's lives I don't think anybody has like a smooth sailing one. I don't think mine is worse than somebody else or better than anybody else's. But for us, it was, there was a lot of, a lot of things happen like within that first year of marriage. And I think that in itself attributed to a lot of our issues that were coming down the road. I had kind of put my foot down and kind of said, if, if this isn't going to change, then I need to get out because it just wasn't healthy anymore. Thankfully, we actually put a limit to ourselves and said, we're going to give it six months of working on it, like really working on it and seeing what happens. And we both just turned a corner. I like am super proud of the work he put in. And I, I, to this day, I'm shocked as to how we came through because we're better than we've ever been. I'm really proud of that. And that's why I like to talk about this because I think there's such a stigma on therapy and males getting help for their mental health. I'm just a huge advocate for that. I think, I think everybody would benefit from, from, you know, talking to a third party of some sort. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think it's so important that we're talking about this today because it even made me think there could be someone who is starting their journey and is feeling like their relationship is going through some turmoil. And maybe you have an opportunity to listen to this episode together and to just say, here, I can't really express what I'm feeling, but I just heard this other person talk about their experience. And, you know, Mm -hmm. does this feel like us, you know? And I think the other part of that is men and women are so different and we need to remember that. Mm -hmm. And when we're going through something like this, 
oftentimes we do just focus on the woman because that's the person whose body is involved in carrying a child. But the man does also go through so much. So anyway, I I digress, but I wanted to just point that out because I think that's really important. So you waited about six years and then you decided instead to do IVF when you decided to go for another child. So what did that journey look like? And why did you go for IVF instead? Yeah. So, um, you know, it wasn't happening for us. I still really wasn't getting a period. I was on the birth control pill, like off and on just because medically my doctors, and I think most people agree you should menstruate if you haven't gone through menopause. But when we were trying again, it, we clearly weren't successful. And so we just knew we were a little worried of having multiples again, which is why we switched to IVF because with an IUI, it's um, intrauterine insemination. And so basically it's however many eggs you drop that could get fertilized. So we went straight to IVF to be able to control, you know, only putting in a single embryo. Granted, that embryo can absolutely split, but the odds are much smaller than if you drop, if you, if you tend to drop more than one egg. So that's why we did that. Truthfully, I went in thinking if an IUI worked so well, IVF actually on paper has a much stronger chance of working. The percentage is much higher. So I thought, oh, great. Like this is going to work the first try. Here we go. You know, we'll be pregnant by December. And it wasn't the case. Long story short, because it was a long story. We're doing, we did IVF for three years. We did Mm. a total of four egg retrievals. After the first three egg retrievals, we really only ended up with one viable embryo after each retrieval. What I was doing, because we didn't need to bank, you know, there's people that tend to want to bank their embryos, have kind of like a big pool to choose from. That wasn't our path. We were just kind of like, let's just transfer one. If it doesn't work, we'll go to the next step, do it again. So we were transferring after each retrieval. After the first year, and I was at one clinic, I had already done two retrievals and had had two failed transfers. I didn't have any embryos left because I just had one from each one. And I then did another IUI just because at that point we're like, well, let's just try, you know, it didn't work. And that summer we took a break, 2018, because we had just kind of had enough emotionally, financially. Um, I personally didn't want the break, but once we took it, it was the best thing ever. And I know people like just freak out when they have to take breaks But looking back, it was probably one of the best things that we did just because your mind and your body, you just can't do it for that long without taking a small break here and there. So then I switched clinics because I had a weird feeling about my clinic. I I wasn't that happy about it. I felt like they weren't treating me like a unique patient. I kind of just felt like another, you know, pee in the pod. I finally started listening to my gut. I started to kind of advocate for myself, which I hadn't done that first year because I just kind of went into it blindly. As I'm on Instagram now and see this huge community, it's so amazing to me to see how many women are actually very informed and how well they try to understand the process. Something I did not do and I highly recommend doing because I I do feel like I wasted the first year doing what they told me to do without asking questions. So I did another retrieval. I ended up with three embryos, which we didn't test right away to make sure they were normal. We ended up doing a transfer and I actually got pregnant. This was um, December, 2018. 
I miscarried that embryo or that baby January 2019, which was a really big, it felt like a slap in the face because I was like, you're, you're doing IVF. Like, you know, everything, everything looks great on paper. I don't understand. Um, and we had seen the heartbeat and then we went in and the baby had just stopped growing. That was really hard because we had also told the twins that we were pregnant. So it was just a lot of emotions. I was just constantly crying. But one huge thing I learned with having this whole secondary infertility business is like one thing doesn't affect the other. And that's even to this day hard for me to to fully grasp. Um, I have a really big thing with guilt. <laughs> I don't know if it's like the Jew in me, but <laughs> I just do. <laughs> um, and uh, like, I felt always like so guilty being sad. I felt like I was missing time with my twins. But then again, like I, I, I knew I needed, I needed to have this other baby. I know that sounds crazy, but I just did. So my miscarriage lasted a long time because I wouldn't stop bleeding. So after about three months of bleeding, they had to do a DNC. So it was just a really long, drawn-out miscarriage. And something I also never knew, you know, that could even happen. I thought, you miscarry two days later, we move on, right? I mean, not mentally, but physically. And that's just not the case. And it's not the case for a lot of women. And I think um, at that point, I was in shock because I felt so alone. And I felt like, what did I do? What's wrong with me? Why can't I carry? What Like, nobody else has had miscarriages that I know. Once I started telling even a few people, I think like maybe three or four out of like the 10 I told had have one. And I'm like, how did you guys never tell me you had one, you know? Yeah. So it kind of started to open my eyes. Wow. There's a lot of us that go through all this stuff that don't even talk about it within our group of friends. That's shocking to me. Then once my body healed a bit, we tried to transfer again. It didn't work. Summer 2019, we decided to do one more egg retrieval just to see maybe I'll get more eggs. I did, which was great. And we ended up getting three normal embryos that time. I did get them tested because part of the reason they thought maybe I miscarried was that the embryo was abnormal. So this time around, we're like, we're going to test. We're going to do it all. We did. We had three. It was the best retrieval ever. We transferred. It was, I think, transfer number five. And that failed again. I did more testing. Pretty much every test you can think of, I needed. Obviously, there's a million other tests, but it just depends on your diagnosis. I myself have what's called unexplained infertility, where basically you just don't know anything. So it's like, it's frustrating. Yeah, I would, I would say so. <laughs> we, yeah. So we transferred again in December of 2019. That one failed. At that point, I was done. I told my husband, I was like, I don't even want to try with the last one because I'm so emotionally drained. I think I was the most depressed I ever was. We've now lost seven embryos and you get attached to them. They're babies. So whether it's a week, a day, eight weeks, 10 weeks, and you miscarry, it's, it's all, it's all a loss. I was just kind of so drained. The other thing that nobody tells you about is the hormone crash you have after taking all those medications for so long. taking all of them. Wow, yeah, Yeah. that's so true. Because basically when you find out your transfer didn't work, they immediately pull all your medication. So you're on this huge amount of estrogen, also progesterone. 
And then that day, you just don't even take it anymore. So it's not even a slow progression. It's just like a cutoff. So your body mm. is crashing. You know, you're coming down from this huge high because for the most part, estrogen yeah. usually, you know, makes you feel better. And you're coming down and you're just, aside from being depressed that, you know, your transfer failed, you're actually physically, hormonally depressed. We ended up switching doctors right after that same clinic, but I had found a doctor that I just felt like really connected to. And I just decided this is my journey. I have to really follow my gut if I'm going to do this again. You have to advocate for yourself. You have to do what you need to do. Exactly. Exactly. So we did, and it felt so good. This doctor was amazing. I still talk to him like all the time right now because he's great. We went into the seventh transfer, and he told me something that I... I've talked about on Instagram before, but he said to me, look, infertility treatments and IVF sometimes it's just, it's like rolling the dice. He said, you've been basically doing a coin toss and you've been losing at the coin toss every single time. He's like, but look, if you keep playing the game, it's bound to happen. Like you're bound to win. Because for me personally, because I don't have something that's like physically like on paper, everything's looks right. I'm a great right. candidate. Unexplained. Yeah. Unexplained. So it's just kind of like the odds, right? So it's, it's a matter of beating the odds that for some reason really stuck with me. Cause I'm like, okay, I can do this again, knowing that everything I've been through doesn't necessarily affect my next transfer. It's hard. It's hard to get out of that because you keep the, you know, you keep having failure after failure after failure. And it's like, what's going to be different this time, you know? Um, right. So we did it. We went into our seventh transfer, February, 2020, and it worked. <laughs> right you know, right was, in the middle of the pandemic. <laughs> or we right literally before. transferred. No, we transferred three weeks before everything shut down. So we found out a week before everything shut down. Um, my husband had a work trip the day we found out that it worked. He came back and they closed the airports. <laughs> so I was like, wow. oh my God. Because of that, he wasn't able to come to any of my doctor's appointments, Hmm. which was hard and kind of crappy because, you know, we had waited so long to be able to have a baby and like enjoy all that together. And, um, I was also a nervous wreck because I was so anxious something was going to happen. What do you think (laughs) is the biggest misconception about infertility? Gosh, there's so many. I think one is that you did this to yourself. A lot of people don't choose to understand it. And I mean, I was guilty of it too, is, you know, you think that you did something wrong. You think you try and look back and and find an answer. And I think part of that is because you want to find a reason, right? Like you want to find something so that you can fix it. So that you can to hold on to. Yeah, exactly. Have some type of control, but you know, you, you really didn't. I mean, there's women that it's just all shapes, sizes, colors, um, whatever you can think of, you know, from all over the world, they all, we have so many women experiencing infertility and we honestly don't know why, you know, like you don't know why or Mm. when it started or when it happened. For someone who might be experiencing this for the first time, I want to just touch Mm -hmm. on some ways that they can prepare themselves. It's never going to be easy, but some ways that we can gleam some of your experience and give them the best support that they can. So first of all, you already mentioned this one, but of course, finding support and getting a support system. You mentioned advocating for yourself and you Mm -hmm. had experiences doing that in many different ways, 
whether it was changing your fertility clinic, changing your doctor. What are some other ways that women can help prepare themselves if they're faced with this this long journey? Yeah. Um, I think a big thing too, when I mentioned support, and again, as much as I don't think you need to share everything you're going through, I think that's such a personal choice. I think finding somebody that understands what you're going through, whether they've been going through it, whether it's a therapist that specializes in infertility, somebody that really kind of gets it a little bit more than just your best friend, only because as much I still think it's great to have them. Don't get me wrong because I have a couple that really supported me that are my best friends that don't Mm. deal with that. Having that connection, somebody just really understands you and you kind of feel like, okay, yeah, like exactly. That's, that's how I feel, you know, and to expect that you can do this and lead your daily life as is, is probably not going to happen. I'm not trying to like scare anybody away from it by any means, but I think it's important to yeah, know Yeah, we have that. to know and our expectations. Yeah. And I think it's important for other people who aren't going through it to understand that that can happen to your friend, to your partner, to your sister, your brother, whoever is going through it and support them in that way, right? Because there's so many things in life that like just when you're going through infertility, there's nothing else. <laughs> that will ever not make you think about it, if that makes sense. So like mm. I yeah, have twin totally girls. Does. I, when I was going through it these past three, four years, or yeah, it's been four years now, even having them, like there was not a moment in the day that I wasn't thinking about my infertility or trying to conceive. Mm. You can go on vacations, you can be at a wedding, you can be getting married, you can be staring at your kids because you're going through secondary infertility. Unless you're going through that, you don't quite understand what's happening in your brain. And it's crazy. I mean, it makes you feel like you're crazy. It makes you feel like what is happening to me. I can't focus on anything else, but it's the truth. Everybody you see is pregnant, even though that's not the case, but they are. Do you know what I mean? Like everything everything around you is going to remind you of what you're trying to, to do. So, and without that support or someone to share that with, you have to carry that whole burden on your own. Definitely. So I think that's when you also have to kind of take your own initiative and listen to kind of to what is happening within you. You know, some people are great and they can do it and they can still go to the baby showers and they can still go to the birthday parties and the events and the weddings and they can still cheer people on who are having babies. I couldn't. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I had to not go to the baby showers. I cried every time one of my friends told me they were pregnant, even though I have my kids right here. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's okay to know, know your limitations Mm -hmm. and know what's good for you to protect your heart. And you can send them gifts in the mail and you can celebrate Mm -hmm. them down the road, Mm -hmm. but that's okay. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing for me is that when that was happening too, I wasn't telling anybody what I was going through. So it was hard because I kind of had to lie as to why I didn't want to go to the baby shower, why I didn't want to go to the event. And that's okay too. You don't have to explain to them like, hey, I'm going through infertility. I don't want to go to your shower. No, sometimes it's okay. And eventually I think no matter what, they're going to figure it out or find out or you're going to probably eventually tell them. But it's not your job to protect them. It's your job to protect yourself first. And 
to this day, I have a problem with that. I mean, I'm working on that. Mm -hmm. But I think that's something a lot of us face is like that guilt of, okay, but she's going to be mad that I don't go or I need to support her. Yes, that's amazing. That's such a nice heart that you have. But you're the one that's going to suffer even more than you already are because no matter what, you're going to feel bad. Right. A couple other things that I heard you mention in Mm -hmm. the past were the importance of having a routine. And so it seems like your life is going to be completely flipped upside down when you face infertility and you start these treatments. Mm -hmm. But the importance Mm -hmm. of a routine, whether that's your self-care, going to the gym, the way that you eat, just your daily routine. And yeah. then also you you said that you chose some alternative medicine. So for you, it was acupuncture, yeah. but it could be yeah. some other options as well. Yeah. So the whole routine thing is spot on. You always just want to get to that finish line no matter what you're doing. But keeping kind of a routine when you can really helped me like at least get through a day, especially if I'm having a more rough day. So, you know, like I always carved out time to go to yoga or to my spin class or whatever it is when I was allowed to, there are certain times within the treatment phase where you just can't, but for the most part I could. Um, And so I went and I went even for me, like for me having that, even after I lost a baby really helped because it kind of, I shouldn't say like it made me not think about it because it didn't. But it just kind of gave me something to control. Brought you back to yourself. Yeah, yeah. To myself, gave me something to control. It took time, but as I continued to do it, it made me feel good again because it's something that I like to do. And if exercise isn't your thing, that's fine. I just mean do something that you really like to do, that you can do daily, that you can put in your calendar, that you can set aside time for. um, It doesn't have to do with infertility. Um, And for me, that's what it was. Yeah. And you know, it could be meditating. I mean, it should, meditating is great. I'm still working on that. Yeah. It could be a bath. Yeah, exactly. It could be a bath. It could be a walk. It could be, you know, going to your favorite coffee shop every day, like whatever it is, just something that's not going to your doctor because you're going to be doing that a yeah. lot. Um, and then, yeah, the alternative medicine. So I started acupuncture after that first year of all the failed treatments. My brother actually is an MD, but he also does Chinese medicine every Friday. Mm. He has a clinic and he does that. And he's like, why don't you try? So I did. I believe that it really does help physically. It does wonders for your hormones, for balancing, for your kidneys, for your blood flow, all of that. Um, But I also think it's a huge support mentally. So I feel, I felt like I was so supported because you have this, all the science, but then I also have another part where it's, you know, this holistic hormonal health that was also trying to balance everything that I had going on. And, you know, I could go there, I could talk to her. I kind of like released sometimes some tears. Mm. I napped. (laughs) So it was just a really nice balance. To yeah, everything it's that else yin that and that yang on. of of what you're exactly. experiencing. Yeah. Another thing, I just want to make sure that I touch on it um, before we finish up. That I heard you say, yeah. anytime someone steps into this journey, they're going to get lots of whether they share their story or not. Really, they're going to get lots of unsolicited advice from people, and some of yeah. that advice, as you have said, can be very beneficial. Some of it, obviously, you just push to the side and is not beneficial. But one thing that you said that you did that I think is really important for people listening is that 
a lot of the information that was solicited or unsolicited, but that you thought was valuable, you put all down on a piece of paper, and then you brought all of that to your doctor and Mm -hmm. just touched on it. Just like, is this for me? Is this not for me? And I think that was really important for for you to do because, of course, there are going to be people like if anybody reaches out to you, for example, you're going to have your whole experience and advice that you can give based on what what you went through. But that might not work Mm -hmm. for somebody else. But at least it can make somebody feel like they're taking those steps toward just asking and advocating for themselves and just trying. And I would hope that anybody who's experiencing this would have a doctor that would be able to work with them and and go over these things. So I love that you did that. And I just wanted to give you props for that. I think that's really, really oh, important. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Erin, I feel like I could talk to you all day. I feel like there's so many <laughs> things that I, I, I are so important on this realm. So many of them that we touched on. I think it's also important to recognize you mentioned how this managing of the grief and the loss is not something that just poof, it's done once you move on or even once you have your child. It's this long lasting experience that you're going to go on and, and go back to and work through. So I really encourage anybody who's listening who might have gone through this in the past or be currently going through it to really follow Erin, check her out, reach oh, out to her. Thank you. Of course. And and like like you said, you know, find someone to just be that sounding board or just know that you're not alone. Cause I think that's the most yeah. important thing. And it's just so amazing to hear you go through what you went through and share your vulnerable story so that if myself or anybody listening does go through this in the future, we can take some of these tidbits away on how we can manage it because it's never going to be positive. It's never going to be easy, but you sharing it is, is really helping other people. So I'm so grateful for you in doing that. Thank you. Touching upon what you just said is just knowing that it's probably never going to be exactly how you thought it was going to be. I know, I think you and I talked about that a while ago, like a few weeks ago, but you know, I think even if it all kind of works out the way you thought it, like uh, that it works out, I honestly don't think anybody has a story of like, oh, this is exactly what I thought it was going to be, you know? And I think that's a huge takeaway too, because you kind of mourn, mourn that like loss of a plan, especially if you go through infertility, even if your first transfer works, it's still, you still go through all this stuff and you still are having to conceive in a way that you never thought you were going to have to do. And, um, you know, changing plans is, is a loss. It's a loss and it's okay to be sad about that, you know, even if it works right away. And if anyone's anything like me, it's that loss of control. <laughs> it's like oh, when yeah. I can't control something, I'm like, like ah! <laughs> yeah. 100%. So I can, I can feel that change. My goodness. All of your links will be in the show notes, but for those listening right now, how can they find you and, and get more information on your story? I'm on Instagram at my beautiful blender and my blog is just mybeautifulblender.com, which is also linked on um, my Instagram page. So that's it. I don't, you know, I need to get on TikTok. I don't really know what I do on there, but I heard it's cool. <laughs> I don't know. I'm so like behind and I'm so like, I don't have time for that, but I also love I that know. name, my beautiful blender. It's such a beautiful name for it. That's so nice of you. 
Thank you. Well, Erin, thank you so much for being a light in in a, in a dark story. I really Aww, appreciate it. And uh, I can't wait Thanks to continue connecting some more. And you have to come to New York so we can eat some chocolate together. <laughs> I'm there in September, girl. So make <gasps> oh, Yes. Okay. Yes. Sounds good. We have to make a date. That's amazing. Thank you, Erin. Yeah. If you enjoyed the show today, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and leave a review on Apple Podcasts so I know how to better serve you. I'd also love for you to join our community of Mamas in Training on Facebook. You can find me at Mamas in Training on Instagram and at mamasintraining.com. For Mamas in Training, I'm Jessica Lorian. We're in this together.